Okay, welcome everyone um, to the Play to the Whistle podcast. We're here today with Kieran. I've got a special guest with me um, that I've been dying to speak to for, for quite a while. So I'm going to introduce him very shortly. Um, but just as a reminder, of course, you can follow us on uh, the usual platforms, the Twitter and Instagram, and that's that PTTW podcast. Um, we've also um, got a YouTube page as well, which we'll put some content on. So feel free to check that out. Um, but back to um, yeah today, um, I've got a man with me who's obviously no stranger to um, all things football, um, but also podcasts as well. I know he's been on on quite a few, sharing his insights. Um, he's worked at a whole host of different clubs, um, various different um, roles as well, which we're, we're going to be thinking a little bit more about. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to welcome Dave Webb. How you doing, Dave? I'm good, Kieran. Very good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, delighted. I think um, yeah, one of the things when we we started this podcast and we were thinking about having guests, I was like, I need to catch up with Dave to start with, but then I need to get him on um, on the show as well. So um, yeah, yeah, super delighted to have you on. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think as I mentioned, and I know it's obviously come up in, in quite a lot of the other chats um, that you've had. You've obviously worked at a whole host of clubs. Um, I know there's you know a lot of London ones, Palace, Tottenham. Uh, in there, Millwall, um, mm. Bournemouth, Southampton. Um, obviously, not not just this country as well. You've been you've been abroad, um, and obviously, you know the the roles that you've had have, have obviously developed along along the way. And I think just for the, the listeners, it'd just be yeah useful maybe to just just hear from you really just a little bit about yeah like the, the briefly the journey you've been on. Maybe the roles okay. that you've enjoyed a bit more, the clubs that you've enjoyed as well. So I hand over to you. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, God, I'm going to sound a little bit old now. So uh, <laughs> football journey probably started in a coaching capacity in 2001 uh, with uh, the old Wimbledon, which is the AFC Wimbledon now, um, as a youth, sort of a youth coach working with the under 10s, 11s, 12s. Um, when that folded down, I moved to the Post Academy in 2003. Mm. Again, working with some uh, local London recruitment structures and that, um, and academy coaching as well. Again, working with the younger age groups, 10s, 11s, 12s. Um, from that, I went to first spell at Tottenham in 2005-2007. Again, working um, on the academy scene with mm. Uh, various age groups from 12 through 16, a little bit older, and mm. uh, combine that with sort of local recruitment and national recruitment and a little bit of abroad as well. Mm. Um, after that, I went to Millwall uh, in a full-time position as sort of head of youth, and that was 9 to 14, both coaching and recruitment, and that was sort of planning sort of local foundations, philosophies, structures, and working with the coaches and scouts at the club. After that, Millwall unfortunately lost its academy um, sort of profile, if you like, and went down to a centre of excellence. So from there, um, I joined Southampton, and that was purely recruitment, working from 15s to through to first team, mm. um, and that was mainly sort of. Um, UK, but then it sort of ventured in the second, third year when I was there into sort of more European-based scouting when they mm. wanted the club to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, then I moved into the world of first team, 
with, uh, with, with Bournemouth and Eddie Howe uh, for, for, for two years. Um, good successful period for the club. Managed to get promoted into the Premier League during that period. Many good players were recruited during that as well. So uh, that was a real, you know, that was a real fun part for me. Really enjoyed mm-hmm. that part from the success point of view. Um, then got the opportunity to work back at Tottenham in with, uh, with Pochettino again. Um, and that was under working with Head of Elite was my title. Yeah. And that was working with sort of under 17s all the way through to the first team. And we had uh, to try and attract the best players from around the world that were good enough for, for that elite environment. After that, um, I had a little bit of a sort of two, three months break, did some consulting work in Germany for some German clubs. And then went to um, Ostersunds as a sort of technical director or sporting director um, just after sort of Graham Potter had had that successful period. That's right. Uh, so it was just to sort of build on the work that he had done, build on some of the foundations, work with, with coaches, work on the recruitment and some of the departments. And then that brought me on to my latest role, which is Huddersfield. Um, they came in and purchased me out of my contract early um, and that was to help them transition mm. into uh, Premier League into, into the Championship and a whole host of responsibilities that come in with that with the new ownership um, as well that mm-hmm. wanted to sort of take the club in a slightly different direction than we have been on before under the David Bagman regime um, so my first point was to help some managers or head coaches mm. into the club that was sort of fit that structure and then uh, work with the footballing departments and sort of affect the recruitment strategies um, in the January transfer window and also mm. sort of lay a foundation of um, the three-year plan which was in place and that was also included sort of integrating academy players into the process um, mm. and get more of a more of what the owner wanted his vision to be for that football club. So takes me um, where I am today. Present day. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've done a couple of things then, yeah? Yeah, just, just a couple, one <laughs> few, or two. A few roles, few, yeah, yeah. Um, one or two. You know, no, because I'm impressed because obviously we, we met when um, I think we were doing your bits at, at Southampton and That's um, right, I, just, yeah. I just remember hearing you talking about um the, the game in, in such a way where i think it, it it challenged some of like the way that i saw the game but your your eye for a player um especially because obviously when we talk about certain things sometimes you can't see it do you know what i mean like you you might spot something i know for example james ward prowse is a player i know that you you, you spoke to me about um on, on a few occasions you're saying watch out for this guy this guy technically and as a footballer and he's one of my favourite players today um, because when I, when, I, when, I, when I watch him play the Southampton way anyway, but um, him, him as a player, is, you know, um, it's a shame he's not been involved so much with the England squad. I think he's, he should be there or thereabouts. But yeah, just 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 so impressed. And, and obviously, um, it's not just me that, that thinks so, but, but sort of, you know, the others, the probably more important people in relation to your, into your career. So um I wanted to ask because I know that you've done your, your coaching badges as well, and you're, you're yeah. pretty much like there, like you've 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 been there and, and obviously done it. Can I ask that the route that you've decided to take or the route that you've ended up on, 
what what was it about that like what um what was kind of appealing about going maybe in that direction as things have come up yeah it was kind of um when i first started out i always wanted to be like a coach just a coach and eventually mm. maybe a manager and work my way up through the through the systems working with different age groups and eventually up um I managed to secure, I got my A license in 2007, eight, and if you kept that renewed up until present time. Mm. Um, I always, I, I suppose the coaching pro, I was always interested in the recruitment of players. And I suppose what really got me into the recruitment side of things to combine with the coaching was when I was at Crystal Palace because in 2003, because given the area where Crystal Palace is um, mm. located sort of in, in Beckenham in sort of South London, um, I noticed that um, there was sort of a there was a gap missing in the market of when the academy teams would play sort of Arsenal, Chelsea, West Ham, other London teams. Mm. They had um, what I would call sort of like raw street talent um, mm. within within their within their ranks, and then some some really good players. And and I used to think to myself, well, you know, we we had good players um, within our teams, but when I sort of delved a little bit deeper and got and sort of nosed into the recruitment side a little bit there was, i noticed some of the areas that maybe they sort of wasn't looking in um mm. and palace were recruiting sort of the best players from the best teams locally which that doesn't always necessarily mean you get the best talent yeah you know so um and that's where we had some good successes with players like uh, wilby saha come through he's done done fantastic um there was other players there like ibrish um, Sajika, who managed to make his debut as well, Sean Scannell, mm. and and he started to notice that within sort of the local areas that there was um, I was always fascinated by the hunger and the appetite, of, especially of the the kids where you know there's a little bit more hungry. You yeah. started to look at a little bit even at young players, a little bit more of the characteristic traits, this is, um, and that really interests me as well as the sort of technical, tactical, and the physical side, and. At Millwall got a chance to sort of combine both together a little bit. Again, good area to work in in terms of recruitment and sort of local talent. It's a great, great area in southeast London where you can really get into the the heart and soul of the surrounding areas. Mm. Um, and then I wanted to, and then when I did my academy manager's license while I was at Millwall, mm. um, you had to do a European study visit, and I was always fascinated with the European game. Mm. Um, that was a real. I wanted to learn more about the game, so I did. I did a, a local visit to buy a labour That's right. Yeah. Which was which was really good, and um, from there managed to. Um, I don't know how they kind of liked some of my ideas and stuff, mm. and we kept the collaboration. I did some sort of like consulting work for them, um, oh. which was which was fascinating because at the time of the Millwall and by Leverkusen and their worlds apart. So there was no conflict yeah, of interest. Um, so that was a great experience. And again, it opened up sort of a different a different learning pathway for me. So then, yeah. then I wanted to do my master's, which is the course we met on. Yeah. Um, and I could see the game changing a little bit from, and I knew I had to be a little bit different personally. Um, yeah rather than just having sort of your main coaching badges, I felt, you know, an educational side, um, especially doing the masters would, would help. Um, I'm not a natural academic, as you probably noticed on the course, but um, 
did all right. We, you know, we fumbled our way through, didn't we? Yeah, but we did all right. We did all right. I think the practical side helped having the practical yeah. knowledge, not having the yeah. academic background, but the practical knowledge of real life experience and elite performance helps. And 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 it sort of helped. And that master's course that helped me. The, the further up you go and the higher levels you go, you, you realise that how much of the the performance of psychology, especially at elite level, um, does make difference in in yeah. so many different ways. So. Once I've once I got as, as on my youth coaching, um, I sort of coached all the teams at the, at the levels that I could. So I was happy with that progress, and I moved into recruitment. And then once Bournemouth and once I completed Bournemouth and Tottenham, I felt that I wanted to challenge myself a little bit more. Um, having a having a youth background, having an academy background, having a first team background on coaching, some of the aspects of sports science and data, and so I thought, well. Um, chance to put it to good use in a like a sporting director or technical director mm. role where you can have an influence of driving a, a, a strategy um, yeah. and and a philosophy and get some alignment so rather than sort of being a one-trick pony of just having the coaching badges and the, the recruitment mm. I wanted to educate myself more and still still got loads to learn now um, so it's a yeah, it's, it's sort of felt that natural progression now of a level where I'm comfortable to have um, to have an overview on the footballing, mm. definitely the footballing structures. Uh, um, uh, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think one of the things that kind of stood out was when you were talking about um, obviously your time at Palace and like the hunger that you notice, and it sounds like you've got that. It's almost like you kind of saw some of you in those places, like you, because you've obviously been quite hungry. You, you could have just stuck with the coaching badges. And of course, a lot of people do to good effect, but you wanted you wanted a bit more from the sounds of it. You wanted to, to see things from like a 360 point. Kind of like if you imagine um, like on, on the pitch, I guess, you know, a player, it's great if you know your position, but if you know how all the different structures, all the different plays work out, you know, if you're a centre mid, how you relate to your right back, how they relate to you. It feels like with a in a non-playing um, staff role, it's yeah. actually quite similar and a, a massive advantage. Yeah, and I think it's if you want a sort of career in football, it's, it's it's really good to have a sort of educational view on things. And you're probably right; it does come from a little bit of the things I see. I'm, I've got that hunger and determination from a from a young age. I was you know brought up on a quite a tough state and. Yeah. Things were quite difficult. Um, you know, it was um, wasn't easy. So you learn how to, mm. you know, you learn how to be resilient, how to fight, and manage away when things, you know, financial things. Yeah. You didn't always have the rewards and stuff. So, and playing as well. You know, it was a, a, you know, I didn't make it. My first thing was to be a football player. Obviously, I didn't make it there, and I still wanted to have a contribution in the game. And yeah. I think. First, when I went full time in 2008, it took me seven years to go full time. You know, I still keep a stack of like I think there's 15 of them, like interviews I went on, and I never got never got any. Yeah. So, it's two ways you can always look at these things. You can always, you know, you can blame and look at anyone else and look at this why, why are they better than me, and you know, this blame mm. culture. But then you can, there's another view and think, well, okay, each one's a learning. What can I do yeah. to improve? Give myself an edge, give myself a little bit more give myself another string to my bow so you become more employable you become more current um 
you know, the more you've got to your bow, the more the more the overview that you can have. Um, yeah. The different footballing worlds it certainly gives you a you know a different um, bargaining tool when you're going into jobs. If you've got you know sort of various various aspects to your to your, to your game that you can offer. Yeah, yeah, because it was it was it was um making me think of one of, one of the things I did want to um, sort of ask you, and I think I'm probably in a better place now than than, than when we first met because obviously a few more things have happened along the way, but. I was just thinking about like the biggest lessons you talked about, and I think this this feels like it can be applied in lots of different industries. Yeah. But all those kind yeah. of setbacks, the bumps in the roads, the big craters in the middle of the road. But what would you what would you say are like for you like the biggest lesson you learned? Maybe the most fruitful experience might might be more than one. But mm. what was what was an experience you had and you thought, wow, like I thought I was good, but I haven't gone through this. Uh, yeah, that's just pushing on to another level. Yeah, I think that there's been there's been it's probably been two or three really, um, mm. and I would say um, when I was at Tottenham uh, the second mm. time around was a was a was a big eye opener in terms of um, expectations and level um, mm. and performance and um, because what I had to learn pretty quickly was um um. Might did, but it was more was more detail, more depth, more more knowledge because you you sort of bordering on that where Tottenham are a Champions League team under Pochettino looking to compete in those arenas, but not having the same budget as maybe an Arsenal, Man United, or Man City, Chelsea, for example. Then you know you for the areas you're looking at, you're looking to get sort of the best talent um, and contributing to the first team that can be the be, be the best players for your environment. Mm. So. You had to be. You had to think really different in terms of, okay, how can I, how can I compete with these clubs? But how can how can we as how can we as in in especially our elite team we had sort of thirteen staff in total. How can our team be the most productive, the the best? And I think the first three or four months, um, what we found it sort of quite difficult to to, mm. to break away through the market you know we was we was looking at players the same as probably everyone else so yeah. and and then we sort of realized that you know that the type of players we need was the ones that layer underneath and then started looking at structures there so that was a that was a big learning curve because the expectations and the pressures are ultra high and you don't really get much time to you know maneuver yourself in you have to hit the ground yeah. running so that was a that was a big learning curve on the expectations of what I call, you know, a real pressurized environment. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, I say some of the things that I've learned over the years, like was um, probably my thinking patterns. Like when I was yeah. probably younger, I was quite a, an emotive thinker. I probably still am mm. to a way. And, and some of the decisions made was like um wasn't always the best was based on sort of like a, a motive at the time or you know little bits of gut feeling where i suppose through experience through going through different roles working with different people in different environments i've learned yeah. to uh take a deep breath and recalibrate <laughs> a step back yeah yeah step <laughs> back and have some more logical thinking and think more yeah. still don't want to lose that edge of that passion and that fire and um stuff that you know I am as a character but just to think more logically you've got more responsibility mm. you've got bigger teams so um you know some of the stuff i've made before where 
you know, I've had disagreements with certain members of staff, uh, hierarchies and stuff where usually I've, now I definitely wouldn't, I'd be thinking more is, uh, you know, it's about alignment, it's about balancing that, about yeah. working together, better communication. So that would be sort of a major one as well. Um, because those, when you sort of in this environment, sometimes those emotive decisions, you don't get many to make. Um, yeah. So that they can be, uh, they can be pretty brutal. Yeah, I can imagine, and obviously, I think what we know is—I um, say what we know—but what I can imagine is because of the way that a lot of people can get jobs in football, um, you're only ever a few, like you say, emotive decisions away from maybe not getting certain roles again in in, mm. in the future. Do, do you know? And it's it's obviously, it's so it's so niche. What I think is um, it's quite helpful to hear that. Because you know, when you're saying about the emotional side, I know I've been there. I probably still am in that in that place at the moment. But yeah. it's, it's like you say, like you take you take you 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 learn how to take a, a step back and take a breath. Um, you know, cl- clearly it looks like it's worked. But like you said, it's not about dampening that that passion and that drive, that spark um, yeah. that you have, because that that ultimately is again when when I look at your roles and I think, well, who else fits in that mold? Like who who else can do those? It's, it's quite, you know, I say it's quite niche in that yeah. there aren't thousands of people that can do it. it it's quite specific. Right. And it sounds like actually it's, it's because of your personality and what you brought to it. And I imagine, my, I'm assuming heavily here, but a lot of those roles have been, you shaped them. So they might yeah. start out as one thing and then they've grown into other things as you've, like you said, hit a learning curve or, or brought stuff. As, yeah. Again, I'm just assuming, but that, that's that's the impression. Yeah, no, I yeah, yeah no, and you'd be right to assume that because it's... Um, you could go into sort of a lot of these roles with um with a job spec with a with a structure but you know it's um it's there to evolve it's there to uh, you know the, especially in the areas of recruitment the market the landscape is constantly changing so you have to be aware of all the market trends you have to be aware of the competition you have to be aware of your own strategies and you have to be aware to be sort of proactive and reactive as well to mm. situations um, all at once and you can't just be and the biggest thing I've learned was, I suppose, was environments on, on my recruitment journey was looking at more players' history. So once they hit all the um, character, once they hit all the sort of football inside, the technical side, the tactical side, um, the data side, then it was more sort of the character and the background. And you probably said like a mistake I made was um, my first signing at Bournemouth. Um, mm. Lucky the other ones worked, but my first signing was uh, a player called Tequila Ranti that signed. We signed okay. from Malmo, um, and at the time, Bournemouth had just come up from League One, 2013. Mm. Um, didn't have any structures or anything in place. It was all like a blank canvas to work from, mm. and they needed a striker similar to this profile. Um, someone who played with Lewis Graben at the time, who was quite quick, who could get in behind. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, low centre of gravity, a little bit explosive and, and Tequilo fitted all those elements and I knew the player from Southampton so mm. um, we watched Malmo in uh, sort of UEFA Cup stages against Swansea and against Hibernian and um, from a scouting perspective just at the time pure recruitment perspective before we had anything set up yeah. um, you know the, 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 the process was we are going to sign him so we did, we signed him and it was Bournemouth record signing him you know, just over two million at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out, and this taught me a massive learning curve. Of you know, one of my strengths that I wasn't utilizing was delving more into the background. 
of, of mm. players from a from a personal perspective, yeah. um, and sort of slowing the recruitment process down a little bit because that was where the managers wanted that sort of niche player straight away. Um, they was worried about the transfer window closing, so everything was rush, 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 rush. Yeah, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, Tequila couldn't settle at the time because we didn't realise he come from um, they come from South Africa. And his mm. wife at the time was was, was quite poorly, um, okay. and she had some problems with one of the birth of their child. And the kilos mm. head, you know, quite rightly so. so. His family wasn't, you know, wasn't with Bournemouth. He was certainly, yeah. and he had such a big transition coming from Sweden into to England. Mm. Language was okay, but um, obviously completely different culture, different environment. So culturally, like yeah, 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 different English dressing room, um, and it was a good dressing room as well. So. You know, everyone tried to make him feel welcome, but obviously no one knew that these sort of ongoing problems beforehand, or we didn't know his situations, or mm. I suppose that taught me a valuable lesson of delving more into the background to try and um, get as much information as you can to be well informed. So you can never guarantee any signing, but all you're trying to do is tip the odds in your favour. Yeah, and that's, yeah. and that's you know getting as much detail about the sort of the character and the personality of the player and his background and his family life and his journey and his environments and amalgamating them all together and then putting them in just as high as um, your technical, tactical, physical and your data side as well. Yeah. And it feels like it links back to what you're saying about where you um, had to make that kind of step up and, and you know, think about, okay, what, what's my role? What, what, what else can I bring? What will make me mm. different to other people that could do this role? Mm. That that was obviously a, a big thing there. Um, I'm gonna be honest. I I wasn't aware of like that whole. I mean, I probably wouldn't be uh, unless I was maybe following Bournemouth at, at the time or, or reading around. But it's quite interesting that kind of insight. And it's like you said, actually, when you said Lewis Graben, because he was at Palace, wasn't he? I think. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And it's just yeah. making me think about when you were there, and actually, like you said, all the strengths that you had about when you were helping them recruit and, and others, and almost just kind of went back to okay, who am I? What kind of defines me? And what, what can I now add to these new things I've learned mm. as well? So, mm. yeah, no, no, I'm, I appreciate you sharing that. That's, um, that, that's, that's obviously given like lots of insight into, obviously, I'm going to come on to where it can go very well, but obviously where it can sort of struggle and, and, and not mm. work out. Um, but obviously, um, you know, I can't have you on this podcast and not talk about some of the names you've worked with. Um, more for me, to be fair, but um, in general, I'm thinking about some of the um, sort of players that, that you've, you've come across, you've maybe worked with, um, you know, when they were quite young or a bit older. Um, who, who's, who's impressed you? Who's, who, have you who have you seen that around and thought, yeah, you know what, this, this, this guy's going to be a player or, or this, you know, maybe they, they're establishing you like, oof. Cool. Yeah. I suppose from my own personal perspective, um, I suppose Wilkie Zaha was, he, I envisaged him, um, I don't know, sometimes uh, as a person you get a gut instinct and even as a young, as a young lad from, because he, he hadn't been in the country very long and he had such a, he was so raw but so quick, so skillful, could score lots of goals. But if you put him into the like, academy training sessions, he was very unstructured. Mm. So, and he, you know, his real talent was when he came to live in, in, in games. And each year it was you know, quite difficult for him. And even at 17, 18, he was going to, 
you know, Palace were even thinking of releasing him, but then he had a, a really good FA Youth Cup game against Everton. Um, the manager at the time, George Burley, saw him. He scored a couple of goals. It was at Selhurst Park. And then mm. he went full circle from being, um, thinking about, you know, looking at his next move to mm. training with the first team at sort of 17, nearly 18, and, you know, never looked back. So, and I think that would be, you know, he's got bags of talent. There's no doubt about that. And he's still, he's still, you know, he still delivers week in, week out, you know, at Premier League level, which is fantastic to see. But I think his determination and his character seeing through that, even when he was going through that time of where he could have been released, he, you know, he put on the mm. performance of his life, which reshaped his career to where he is now. Mm. And there's been, there's been other players as well, which have seen... <clears throat> really developed like um was at Tottenham was involved in the process with Song. Um and okay. he was a you know he was because I'd worked about Leverkusen before, um we had some sort of some links there and and Song sort of fitted the ideology the way Pochettino wanted to play. Mm. He was looking at a player that could play sort of a few multiple positions, which he which he does now. He could play as a nine or wide or sometimes even behind the striker, but he's very fluid. Um, but it was just his the way we measured players, the way we looked at players was for him was what he looked at was was the, was the amount of runs that he made off the ball um, mm. during the game was one of the highest at the Bundesliga at the time. And for the way Poch played of transitioning quick football on a counter attack mm. and you know very on the front foot, he was a player that you know fitted really well. And then we did our homework of all the character side and. Um, all the other attributes, and he was kind of under the radar. He wasn't on, he was on players. He wasn't on sort of any of the big clubs' radar at the time. Yeah. Um, he was sort of on the rise, which was which was excellent for us. We managed to sort of sign him, but it still took him sort of six, seven, eight months to acclimatize mm-hmm. into the you know into the Tottenham culture, into you know different different language, different different league. Um, mm-hmm. But again, he had those sort of character traits combined with, you know, he's an outstanding player, but he had those yeah. where he's so disciplined, so focused on his on his football, that that's that's him. That's all yeah. he dedicates himself to. And he's, you know, he's a fantastic character around the training ground as well. Mm. Um, so, he, so, so he would be one where, you know, I would look at him now and think, wow, you know, he's done really well. Yeah. And another another player that probably was, one of the most talented players that I've seen close up um, that I brought to Ottersons was Ravel Morrison. Uh, ah, was that? Were you involved in that? Yeah, okay. I took him from yeah. Lazio to... Um, yeah. And it was a chance to sign him um, because he wasn't in the Lazio squad at the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, he came to Ottersons where he, he needed game time, so... It was during our pre-season, so it worked pretty well. So he had time to, you know, get into fitness, you know, find his rhythm again. But I think close up, when you watch someone who's that good, you know, obviously I've seen loads of top, top class players, you know, Harry Kane's songs, you know, Deli Alli's, these Wilfie, these type of players are real, real top class. But in terms of pure talent, we could see the yeah. game, I don't know, with maybe... He played the game with maybe sort of eyes in the back of his head. Was oh. was Ravel, yeah. and um, fantastic character as well. Very misunderstood. 
obviously he was had that trouble past and stuff. Um, mm. His background played sort of a key role in that. But um, you know what a player and what a human being. You know he was he was excellent at Austin and and it was good to see because we managed to give him at that time. He was only for a short period of time he was with Ottersons, but he, he signed at Sheffield United, who was just into the Premier That's League. Right. So he um there was a good chance for him to sort of get himself back into the you know the British market again, back where yeah. he belonged. So it was good to see that transition where he came to to Ottersons a little bit broken, low on confidence, low on fitness, low on self-esteem to to when he left. He was in excellent condition, uh, mm. best player in the league by miles. Um, but a, a real good role model for the younger players as well, and he did a lot of work with some of the community people in Ostersons. So stuff that probably people wouldn't associate him with. Yeah. You know, going into schools, um, there was a time when you know in the in the club shop in the town centre where a couple of lads couldn't afford shirts, so he bought them. Yeah. Um, and this is just just little gestures like that. He was good with um, sort of the kit man who came from sort of far and wide. Um, I think well, where was he from now? I don't want to say he was from sort of the African continent, and yeah. he had been away from his family for three, four years. Oh wow! He never yeah. could, he couldn't afford to go back, and Lavelle paid for his flight to go back. You know, just little, just just little things like that you see behind yeah. the scene that he's actually a you know real decent human being. Yeah, it's it's like what you're saying with Lavelle. Definitely, you know some of the other stories that have, that have gone around and, and, and rumours and things, but that, that side, I've heard like little snippets just from circles I'm around, but it's, it's actually nice to, to hear that. Cause again, that, that stuff will, will go, like you yeah. say, quite under the radar. <clears throat> of course. Yeah. Um, the, the, the Zaha story, cause I know you told me that before. And I, I just, I think, I think, I, I think you told me a couple of times cause I just wanted to listen to it because I just, and, I, and because it's local, because you know, obviously yeah. you know, South London and, and, and yeah. um, obviously South London's obviously close to your heart as well. So I, I, you know, I really, I really like that story. And, um, the, the son, um, it did never occur to me that obviously you've, you've worked with, with Leverkusen and, and then obviously at, at Spurs, one of the other um, hosts will love that because um, when obviously when Spurs signed Son at the time, he was like this this guy, this guy, um, you know, he's gonna. And I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like I haven't mm. really because well, Levick isn't doing these days. Like I, I think my head was wasn't in in German football at the time. But he was like, no, he's gonna be he's gonna be a serious signing. And obviously, this is quite funny how that all in mm. my head anyway it all comes together three sixty. But yeah, obviously. It's it's crazy how he wasn't on the radar of some of the some of the bigger clubs, and you look now. I, I don't know how much he'd be worth. I know he wasn't. He's probably expensive in maybe Tottenham terms, but obviously, as transfers were flying around at mm. that time, probably mm. probably a snip and probably worth way more than that if he if he if he was to leave Spurs. So um, yeah, I know definitely. Um, yeah, Jesse will be will be happy that you brought Son into his life in into <laughs> England, so we can see him a lot more a lot more often. Um, there was something I wanted to ask um, before we kind of move on and think maybe a little bit more about structure. And it was about the the pathway because I think it was, I want to say about six, seven months ago, you did you did a chat um, when you were at Huddersfield. It might have been a bit longer than that, but you're talking about um, Smith Rowe, who I know, um, mm. obviously know a lot about and things like that. Again, watching him play now, thinking of these, these other players that you've obviously had an eye for, his... 
you know, among his talent, which watching him play, you think he's about 26, 27, hitting his prime. Mm. Um, his attitude as well, like the, his presence on the pitch. And it just get me thinking about, obviously, he's had a particular pathway, guys like Harry Kane, etc. They, they haven't mm. just gone into the first team like a Rashford. They've, they've had to go on the loans. And sure. I wondered if um, you could maybe just quickly share, like, how the pathway kind of works, especially with maybe players that do go out on loan and, and, and how they're kind of identified. Because I know it's obviously a process from early on. It isn't just, oh, you know, they've had a good year. I'm thinking it anyway. It's not, oh, they've mm. had a good year. Let's, mm. let's throw them out somewhere. Like, you know, what's the nearest club around the corner? How, how, how does that tend to work? Yeah, I think um, if you look at sort of a Mills case and his journey, he, uh, when I first see him when I was at Tottenham, he was 16. He, he hadn't signed his scholars at the time so we tried to sign him um mm. because we felt even at that young age that he you know he was so talented um and the way he moved off the ball not as well as he talent on the ball and for such a young age yeah. he had a you know he was a very shy character but you could see he had a real work ethic about him as well but we didn't couldn't get him what what i admired about him was <clears throat> is when my colleague paul mitchell was at um red bull leipzig um, mm. Obviously, he was aware of Emil as well from, from when we were both at Tottenham, and he gave him that exposure. Mm. And um, what what impressed him was that how he went into sort of a completely different country. Even though you could argue Red Bull is you know an international global brand, so English is a is a language they speak quite a lot in Germany. But he still had to adapt. He was still very young. Mm. He was only eighteen, nineteen. Um, he had to live on his own for the first time. Um, mm. you know, going to a completely different um, environment altogether. So, and he didn't get much game time. So, but um, he showed um, some real sort of the snippets he did play. So, show some real good um, characteristic attributes of that adaptability. Because some players can, especially young players, can go into clubs within the UK and find it very difficult. You know, from being mm. in a academy environment all of a sudden going into sort of men's football is a you know it's quite a change it's quite a different it's different animal yeah. yeah it's completely different and when i was at huddersfield the process to get a player like emil from from a club like arsenal was obviously because he had that exposure before that we had to go to arsenal and present our case um oh, okay to to do like a formal presentation that was with myself and the and the manager at the time and put forward. Um, we I was still in contact with sort of the player and sort of the agent and family and stuff. So mm-hmm. followed his progress because you could, even at a young age, he was one that highlighted that I personally highlighted. He'd be going to be eventually he's going to be a Premier League player. Yeah. So um, there was quite a lot of competition for a mill, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. from other Championship clubs and a whole host of Bundesliga clubs, but. Mm-hmm. What, what I admired about Emil is he could have gone, Huddersfield was in the position when he came to us in January where um, it's sort of fighting around the relegation zone. Yeah. And um, even though I wasn't in it, you know, it was a it was a battle each week to keep it out. So yeah. he had to, he could have gone to sort of maybe a, you know, maybe a Swansea where maybe the style of football maybe suited his game a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he'd worked with Steve Cooper through the England ranks. But he chose to test himself again, moving to moving away up into Yorkshire, living on his yeah. own. 
going into a games program at championship level where you are playing two games a week we'd only played sort of some occasional euro euro games and um Carabao cup games so completely different to him training was different physicality was different um the lads at Huddersfield didn't make it easy for him in a good way um um but what 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 impressed me was his adaptability into that he just wanted to play football and he wanted to just prove himself that he could go out and play and he mm-hmm. did in each game i think during that time he was one of the most foul players in that three month period wow. which which says a lot and he was you know he, he was pivotal for for um Huddersfield staying up but for someone who's quite a shy character off the pitch you know he's a you know he's a he's a lad of few words He's he certainly does his football talking in training and on the pitch, and he's sort of, and he's he's a real humble guy, a real mm. humble guy, and he takes and he takes football in his in, in his stride, and mm. and I think those type of players, some of the other ones mentioned, like Harry Kane, who's gone out to a whole host of clubs, these type of young players early that really want to go out and make it as a pro footballer, and they're at big clubs like Arsenal and Tottenham, and they look at their pathway in front of them and think, right, okay. Maybe I'm not going to get my opportunity now, so I'm I'm, I'm going to have to go out and prove myself. That shows a lot. Um, yeah. it, it shows a lot, and I think there's more sort of proof of facts with young players doing that, going to going to get they call them jobs elsewhere, different mm-hmm. environments. Premier League clubs tend to you know really monitor the, the progress of their elite talent. So Arsenal mm-hmm. was very good. We had constant communication with them. They kept close tabs on him in terms of observations and, mm-hmm. you know, um, all of our footballing departments exchanged data information, sort of medicals and on a, you know, after every game. So Arsenal obviously had him um, earmarked for the future. He wasn't one yeah. that, you know, he was looking, they, you know, they, they was, they were taking into account every detail of his game. And so there was always yeah. constant communication between that and the, and the best clubs do and the top clubs do you know they mm. when they when they when they loan you their players they're loaning you one of their sort of you know top assets so they yeah it's like uh, protect having, it and look after it exactly it's like having a high performance car but you lease for a few months you have to make sure <laughs> that it's well oiled well maintained yeah so, yeah. yeah yeah it's really um it's a really interesting one because I think we could probably do a whole other like couple of hours on like the the, the link between the the young English players and, and the German league. There's quite a few names that that, that come to mind. Obviously, yeah. uh, a lot of the ones that like sort of Dortmund and I think Lookman's another one that, that's obviously kind of gone out there and he's come back and, and done well. But yeah, it's just the level of detail. I think is um, I mean I probably should expect it, but just the idea of like you know having people to come and present and be like actually this is this is why we want to take your play even for because it sounded like it was a short-term loan it wasn't yeah, um, obviously it wouldn't have been a season long would it no, so no yeah yeah and because it's such a competitive market and and the elite talent from sort of Arsenal production line Chelsea's Liverpool's Man United mm. they're, they're top players that are around sort of the England folds now the under 21s mm. they do look at them as potential players for the future so it is it is such a it is such a process, and the competition for for their signatures, even on a short term loan, is a uh, you know it's incredible. You know, I think mm. there was ten championship clubs for a mil, mm. um, probably six or seven German clubs and other other clubs in Europe, in yeah. sort of the French yeah. and Belgium leagues as well, Holland, 
uh, and you know really good clubs really good clubs where from a footballing perspective would have been sort of more transferable of Arsenal's way of playing into there but yeah. uh, for him he wanted to feel what it was like to to be under pressure to be mm. performing week in week out to have expectations on him to be in an environment where it's unforgiving um, and results are paramount and for, for his survival so it gave him real skills I think not just footballing but as a as a person to take into take into Arsenal has obviously really helped him because you know he's having a fantastic oh, season flying. so far yeah yeah no he, he's a guy um I think it's probably no secret to anyone that Arsenal had a mixed relationship with them growing up um, but he, he is someone where if I'm watching Arsenal game I hope he's he's involved hopefully starting and mm. um again this is this is that kind of eye for talent um, that, that obviously I've kind of noticed that, that you've had. Um, I think when you do say, you know, this, this person, they, you know, there's something about them. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to follow them and see, and, and, and you've seen anyway um, on, on so many numerous occasions that you've you pretty much been there, you know, so I say pretty much you have, um, you know, who, who am I to say that you haven't, but yeah. So, so yeah, but this is getting me thinking about, um, I just want to ask you a little bit about the sort of structures, because obviously the role that you have is a massive part of, or the roles that you have had are a massive part mm. of the, the structure, which again, from my understanding and not, not just football manager, but actually speaking to people and, and obviously observing, um, has changed quite a bit. And I suppose it's, it's, this isn't a question to, to kind of pick apart which structures don't work, but I'm, I'm more interested in which structures you feel do work within a club I guess holistically but especially thinking about sort of youth development and and recruitment and things like that um what what's your kind of thoughts on that yeah um I I think moving forward especially the way if we're going to sort of stick with sort of the English game that it's veering into more of a European model now in terms of structures where Mm. the managers are more of a head coach so they're more of a they're more of a teacher now. They're mm. more of a rather than a manager that would operate the whole club. The you know the players now will have them as their um, have them to themselves in many ways because their main focus would just be on the first team, which is good and it allows the supporting frameworks around football clubs to, especially if we're talking about my position, to allow to put things in place for the mm. for the club's future. So. Mm. Now, in terms of it's not just recruiting players, you're recruiting coaches that's going to fill it the uh, fill the philosophy of your football club. And um, if that coach moves on or it doesn't work out, then you still the philosophy stays the same, and that allows you to put in structures from you know from the academy, so you can mm-hmm. go um, to recruit players now that um, all the way across a football club from academy through to first team that start to fit those sort of structures and values. And and then you can have a system in place where you want to bring through, um, target maybe one or two players into your first team environment each each year. And then your recruitment, the way you recruit players um, is focused around that well. So you could have, if you have a certain identity that you know you like to play a brand of football, you want to be associated with, then there's going to be recruitment factors into that. Um, mm. And there's going to be, because there's, there's loads of stuff on data and obviously there's going to be certain data systems that are going to be more applicable to use for the way you play, going to be more um, 
designed for that and then obviously you have you, then you have certain aspects where you're looking at more players and staff that can fit your culture your environment you know so yeah. you can have values that say Huddersfield for example we had sort of five or six values that we wanted to see um mm. we didn't expect to see them all but we you know we wanted at least see sort of maybe two three four of those you know yeah. strong come out um and that can help you sort of build a culture and build a sustainable mm. football club over a period of time rather than just a mm. quick fix results are not going well so everything has to change the short term yeah yeah so it's a longer term it's a longer term project so that's what i probably noticed the changes more especially over the last four or five years more more here in the uk where the sporting director was probably always a more of a european or more european structure now it's coming into or the British game is that it's going to, mm. I think it's going to help produce a lot more homegrown coaches as well as homegrown mm. players, homegrown staff, because um, there's going to be a lot more opportunities because in these structures it creates you know, a, a, more of a demand, more of a demand mm. for developing quality and recruiting quality. And that's just, and that's not just um, players, that's staff as well. Mm. And then you yeah. can start looking to, to sort of really build on that and then put in the processes in, in place that allows that foundation to continue into the future so the club remains the same um but you know the the head coach might change but the, the club stays yeah. the same and it, it keeps that it keeps that alignment um sort of clear and i think that's especially during this sort of pandemic phase that we've been in as well there's going to be a real emphasis on um, development now, especially with a recruitment law changing and UK players have not been able to recruit um, so frequently as we could abroad. So it's going to, mm. you know, it's going to make uh, clubs look at their recruitment more skillfully and develop their homegrown talent more productively. So mm. um, this global change will, it definitely gives, I think, a lot of clubs a chance to sort of look at what's been going on before, um, mm. what's worked, what hasn't worked. And each club will have their own view on that. Each club yeah, will have yeah. their own views, what, what's worked for them, what's not worked for them. And, and look at their structures and look at their processes and look at how they want to be seen now, want to be identified. And um, a lot of the, sort of my colleagues have been, you know, within the Premier League Championship, League One, League Two, they, they're looking at that real sort of change on development, the homegrown talent, on both ends, staff and players. Yeah. So that's what I think is going to be, especially over the next two, three years, is going to start to be sort of a real, real change, not just at the top level, but sort of championship down as well. Yeah, I've, I've, I feel like it's like that sustainability. And I think, I think you're right, because I'm just thinking about like historically up until we're thinking probably Wenger, Fergie, Klopp, the last like long, like man managers that have been clubs a, a long time and it's like you say there, there are there are a number of clubs now that um the turnover might be a bit quicker which is again i feel like from watching the uh Serie A in like the 90s it felt like that was like you say that kind of european model but it, it is obviously feeling like that and i'm looking at teams like um like your southamptons um trying to think who else even leicester to an extent it feels like there is such a there's a, a real kind of robust structure that means that it doesn't all fall with one person. You're not going to have like a, for want of a better example, a United situation where Fergie goes and then 
all of a sudden everything has to change things mm. look different mm. and and mm. almost you having to start it's it's having that well the manager goes if a if an assistant goes if a youth team manager goes we we still have a, a similar thing in place and yeah it feels like the clubs that have started to utilize that particularly from like league one even championship you've seen them there's a few of them that have come up and they just seem mm. to run very well again i'm thinking of I don't know how quickly Leicester's one came in, but even like like uh, Bournemouth, um, Southampton from way back when, when, when you, because I remember you telling me a little bit about um, the idea about their sort of five-year plan and et cetera, and um, trying, trying to think of other clubs, but you can see there's a difference between, even like your Leeds, where they, when mm. they sorted out the ownership, there is a, a plan in place and a sustainable mm. kind of structure. So it's, in, it's interesting to hear that. And I was thinking about how the, how the pandemic change things um as well and obviously it makes sense that you're gonna have to be more efficient and, and a bit smarter with your with your money and your resources aren't you? i think like any mm. business but particularly yeah, football is yeah, super niche um all right i'm gonna i'm gonna um ask a little bit more about you now because i wanted to I, I don't think i've ever asked you but who's, who did you support growing up tottenham yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, you did say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember. Oh. <laughs> um. Oh, so following following your dream then, basically. Can, yeah. I, can, I couldn't I couldn't imagine working for United, but yeah. For, like, how was how was that for you, working for the team that you also grew up like loving and, and supporting? Yeah, it was it was it was fantastic, especially the second time around because I think the first time I was still very young. I was kind of in awe of everything, mm. and I was still learning, and I was um. You know, I was on a part-time contract coaching and doing some recruitment work. Mm. And, yeah, it was um, it was at the old training ground in Chigwell. And mm. Martin Yarl was a manager at the time. And he spent, I, I just used to, you know, I had a day job. But I used to spend a lot of time sometimes. I want my day job to finish quick because the privilege yeah. was that sometimes we could go and watch first team training. And I remember watching players like Edgar Davids oh, train. God, yeah. And he would... And then watching his attitude to training because he would get there an hour before everyone else and be out on the pitch before everyone else, prepared, yeah. breakfast, everything done. And you say, right, okay. And I remember him doing a demo for the under 16s, like on mm. a, we did like a CPD. And he said, look, he said, I'm out, even at my age now, he was in his 30s. He said, like 31, mm. 32. He said, um, I go out first and I do two, three thousand ball touches before anyone else comes out. And he said, that's not to mm. say that I'm better than anyone else or I mean, I'm bigger than anyone else. He said, that's just my mindset. He said, because, you know, I've been, this is the way I think, just to be more prepared to go and feel myself out. So when I'm going into an elite training session, this helps me with my mind and my body. And he was mm. t- trying to betray this to the sort of young Tottenham players coming through at the time. And they were players. Um, at the time there that you know had showed good promise so the first time around was sort of kind of a starstruck a little bit um second time going into it nearly it was probably yeah 10 years later um Mm, wow more than yeah 10 years later 2015 where obviously a lot more experiences um i'd gone through and a lot more sort of different roles different jobs and just um it was a completely different environment so going into working at the you know tottenham's uh elite enfield training ground every day was was still mm. fantastic um having 
you know, where my office was, I was able to watch first team training every day. Mm. It was two doors away from Maurizio in terms of the corridor. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was more of a closer working relationship with the yeah. team. It was more closer to the first team. It was more involved where I'd say when I was younger, I was kind of just starstruck just to, you know, just to walk around. Just to be in that company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I was yeah. coaching, I was still very young and still learning. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's incredible. I do, I've, I've forgotten because I know we used to have um, the conversations on the train on the way home actually. So, um, so yeah. yeah. Um, who's who's your favorite player or your favorite players growing up? Like, who did you enjoy watching? Uh, yeah, uh, a combination really. When I was really young, um, mm. being sort of a Tottenham fan, I used to play like players like Glenn Hoddle and Gary Lineker, of course. Um, Gascoigne course yeah, yeah. Uh, but even players one of my favorites um was well, i remember seeing him in the old cup was maradona mm. it was like um didn't get to see him that much but then i was a big fan unless he was playing the world cups but then probably where you know uh Italia football was on quite a lot when he was growing mm. up so a lot of the sort of players through that era like roberto baggio ravinelli yeah. um, maldini our Tony, you know, George Ware, that's all mm. coming into them. And then um and then players like so big fans of players like Paul Scholes, um mm. Giggsy, um Beckham, that that era of Man United crop, you know, was all was mm. all fantastic was all fantastic to watch as well. And then sort of moving on to sort of the Barcelona phase, which of course everyone went through with Iniesta, Xavi, Messi, yeah. you know, the various various teams they had. And then but I suppose my, my all time favourite player, one of my all time favourites was probably Zidane. <laughs> Do you know what my his ears must be burning because um, I was recording earlier and that is exactly I feel like I'm gonna be hearing that quite a lot. What what was it for you about Zidane or I don't know if there were standout moments like if you know if I could no one, if someone had never heard of Zidane and they were like, watch this clip, like what, what, is, what was it for you about Zidane? I think it's when he scored that goal um, against, against by Leverkusen. It's uh, Leverkusen. Yeah. Final, yeah. Yeah. And then um, it was just, it was just, the game was so effortless to him. It mm. was, it was like he was floating. He was just a pure artist as a player. Um you know, he used to get into spaces and receive the ball in tight positions where some players wouldn't dream of. And mm. he could create he could create goals, he could score goals. He had that little bit of aggressiveness about him as well. Fire. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fire in him. <laughs> and he just and, and the way he just viewed the game, he see the game, he could just see the game. Um it's like he's in his I always think with the great players, they have the ability to slow the game down, even though it's quite a frantic game and sometimes it's like a war zone um mm. the, the the best players like the real top ones the geniuses mm. like there's a dance they have the ability just to slow it down to their pace even mm. though it's quick pace and see the game through their lens through their eyes and there's not many players obviously not over the course of history that can do that but he's definitely sort of one that you can see that when he's when he's navigating his way through a game that he's it's just he must see he must just see like a chess player two three moves ahead than anyone else. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he was a real you know real sort of poetry emotion watching him play. 
he was um yeah he, he was special i remember um watching him i think when like growing up he was quite frustrating because he obviously i think at the, the time when i started watching me he, he not long moved to juventus and um I think it was that period of time where the Champions League was quite new in the format and Juventus and United would play each other pretty much every year and Juventus would always win. And he'd just be he'd just majestic, him and Conte and I think Alan Boxic and Deschamps and all, all those guys. And I think it's only later on, I think as I got older and matured and I was like, this is, um, this, he's just, he's just, an, you can't compare him to any other player. Do you know no, what I mean? He's just, no, he's no. just, I can't think of anyone else that plays a game like him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's um, yeah. I, I might need to go and dig out some clips actually. <laughs> on uh, yeah, in, in, in sort of my Friday and in well, we're still in lockdown, but um, but yeah, um, the last question I want to ask you was just thinking about, I guess, your career, um, and kind of people that have, have kind of inspired you. So it could obviously be some people that you've worked with. It could just be um, some people you've met. But who would you say have been like the biggest? influences um and the people that i guess you've learned most from yeah there's been some i suppose it's always been i've been fortunate at the clubs that I've, that I've worked at that there's always been you know good people there and uh, i suppose palace at the time there was a guy called paul holder mm. he was um the assistant academy director at the time and he's worked with the fa and brighton and um very outside thinking in terms mm. of how to develop youth players wasn't rigid at all. Um, thought a lot about again, sort of a little bit of shaping. Thought a lot about the social side of stuff um, mm. in the development. So you know, he was always encouraging you developing young young players, you um, developing young kids as well as young football players. So it was always it always made you think of you know your language, the way you communicated, the way you structured your coaching sessions. So he was he was big. Chris Ramsey at, at Tottenham when I moved there. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris at the time just come to join John McDermott, and you know he's again a little bit different to to Paul Holder, but he was he was excellent in terms of uh, how he viewed the game, how to develop sort of top players having to build that resilience in them, the way he structured his coaching sessions, the mm. way he communicated. And, you know, it was more like an intense intensity, which I hadn't, which I hadn't seen before. Um, and I would say the people at Leverkusen, there were sort of two or three there that were excellent. And that's my first opportunity to see game through sort of in a different culture, a different light. Um, and that sort of really got, that intrigued my studying into the German football even more mm. um, and started to think about sort of how they not only recruit players, but how they recruit people, how they recruit coaches, how they, yeah. how their structures work, how they, how they look to develop. Um, so that was sort of a, you know, a real big influence. Um, the managers I've worked with, someone like Pochettino was a, mm. just to watch him on a daily basis. Again, not just, it's just, this is just him as a man watching him around the, yeah. the training ground the way he was with with all staff um not just not just the players he was working with um he had a real you see he had that latin fire and passion about him he was very sort mm. of you know he liked the high fives and he was you know, very he used mm. to he was very sort of touchy feeling in terms of like to give you big cuddles and stuff he was very and he was never his attitude was you know we're never no one's never better than anyone else you know, we're all yeah, here to do yeah. a job. 
he's the head coach, so he's got that responsibility and everyone else has got theirs and he's to allow people to get on with their to, to their job. And mm. I, I think or again, like top players, I think these top coaches and he would be one of those sort of world in that world class category where it's about they're excellent coaches on the pitch, there's no doubt. Tactically, the way they yeah. you know, the way they play, their styles, their philosophies. But it's their man management's the key. Their man management, the style, the way they deal with elite professionals, how to handle them, how to how to create an elite environment and how to build a culture when they're there. So um and how they communicate. So again, real real learning curves of you know, when I'm looking at sort of the way I you know, if I'm in a leadership role, I want to communicate with people thinking mm-hmm. about the people, how to develop them, how to inspire them, how to motivate them, how to get the best out of them in the working environment. Um, him and Eddie Howe was very good as well. Yeah, a bit more of a quiet yeah. leadership, um, but very intense, psychologically very smart in terms of the way he dealt with his players. Excellent on the training field. I would say he's, he's more of a teacher, you know, yeah very clear on his communication, had a clear plan, philosophy and strategy that he wanted the players to play and he executed that. Very good at wanting to build values and cultures within the club as well um, throughout the staff. And again, just a um, good man manager all round. And yeah, yeah. I suppose they, when you get to see these people in action and the pressurised environments they're in, but they still have the time to be um, you know, humble to, yeah, to everyone around yeah. them, you know, they would, again, talk to any member of staff and ask them about their family, themselves, how they're doing. It was never, you felt with them, it was never a gesture. It was a real genuine, genuine. interest. Yeah. yeah. So it has been um, going to work in Sweden was, was a real, was an interesting one. Again, living in a different country for a longer period of time. And being away from my daughter and family and stuff was a, you know, it was quite a challenge. But yeah. I would say the, you know, the culture there was very good. They say the Swedish are quite got that icy feel about them. Um, I would probably disagree with that. And so they've yeah. got kind of a nice warmth about them. They have to, again, they have this culture where they don't view themselves better than anyone else. Not this is not just yeah, football. Yeah. This is just as a culture. So, um, I found, you know my experience they're really um really enjoyable you know mm. learned learned a lot about the culture and the way they operate and obviously about the football leagues and stuff but um i think you can really learn more about yourself when you're in a different environment you're away from your home comforts you're being challenged you're away from home you're away from family and friends um sometimes it can be pretty lonely and you know you're in a different culture where you've got to manage yourself yeah, better. Definitely. So, you know, that was a real good learning experience as well to learn to manage myself when the times where you're not working, where you've got your downtime and, you know, how to keep yourself occupied, how to keep yourself busy and focused and really embracing the culture rather than worrying about where you are. Mm. So, um, again, great learning experiences. Yeah, there's obviously a whole range of um, the different influences there. And, and obviously, you can see how that, that's gone through it feels like it feels like there's a common theme about um how they treat just just their fellow humans um yeah. but certainly it feels like there are then different sort of elements of that and what quite working 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 close with them as well and um i'm kind of glad you mentioned eddie house and I, I know like you, you 
probably talked about him at length on um, on some of the other um, shows that that you've been on. But I, I know also you've got a lot of admi admiration for him, and um, we're 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 also cheerleading him on um, here as well because we we you know when when we kind of just again you know better than we will, but just just how he he is kind of worked his you know his style of play, things you read about his coach, and I think at a point where Southgate might leave. Um, we're all massive advocates of, of of hoping that he's in the in in the running for the England job because I think just just looking at him as a, as a, as, a, as a man and um, and obviously his abilities as well and also working with with a lot of um, you know good English talent um, but he's de clearly developed um, you know we you know always thinking at a point if when Southgate decides to leave and if, if obviously how wants to I think he would be great for that but. Um, also good to hear about the other side of things as well, just actually how he conducts himself um, mm. and, and everything. So, so yeah, I think um, that was all my questions. I was going to ask you what next. I know you're having a bit of a rest at the moment. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's been yeah. you know a hell of a journey, but are you still just thinking of resting up, are you keeping an eye out to see, you know, checking your emails, etc. Where where you are at the moment? Yeah, I kind of wanted to break until at least to the end of this season. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's because of um, it has been pretty intense, and it is sometimes yeah. during this pandemic to allow me to spend more time with my daughter who doesn't live with me yeah. full time. So, getting that it's really helped humanize me a little bit, and mm. we'll definitely. And even this period, when I go back into how again to how you work with people, and you know, obviously, we can't mm. take life for granted. Obviously, we've, we've seen what's happened globally, so. Yeah. Um, my plan was always to sort of just rest till the end of the season. I've had some sort of interesting conversations with clubs, but for me, yeah. um, I'd like to go back into sort of sporting director or head of football type of role, and it'd be mm. it'd be about the right project. It wouldn't be necessarily the you know the size of the club or yeah. things like that. You know, obviously, it's about the right project. And you look at where my values are and my skill sets are, and looking at you know where the potential club could be and seeing where it, it can marry the two together and you know I could yeah. really have a contribution on that and if you want to be successful you have to really sort of carefully think about which clubs are going to be uh, going to be sort of potential real you know real good ones to work for in terms of does my expertise coincide with what they want to achieve what they want yeah yeah no I, I agree and it's, it's got to be aligned I think obviously there, there are projects and you know I can imagine for, for most things you're not going to get it perfect but no, the last thing you want to do is go into a situation that you're thinking oh, I'm here maybe because it is a name but this is just really not you know it's just it's just, it just sounds like it's going to be a whole heap of stress why why not you know go into a project that you just you're going to enjoy it's going to be tough but like you said especially the ones you've worked on when you come out the other side you think yeah that was that was a slog but it was enjoyable you know yeah. so yeah that, that's glad to hear it yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. And obviously, you know me, and I'll be, I'll be keeping an eye um, and and seeing, and obviously keep keep an eye on. Like he was saying, oh yeah, he he might be one. So I'm thinking, all right, football manager 2022. <laughs> 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 but, um, but no, I uh, just want to say thank thank you so much for coming on. It's just oh, obviously so much more insight. And um, yeah, obviously, you know, um, you know, best of luck with, with any kind of projects that, that come up. And yeah, thanks again. Um, no, I appreciate it. appreciate you having me on. No, definitely, definitely. <laughs>